1: You can listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm
2: Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards
0: Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Woke AF Daily with me, your girl Danielle Moody, recording from the Brooklyn Bunker, folks. Apologies for the delay in today's show drop. So much is going on, so many things out of whack, and I'm going to blame it on Mercury being in retrograde. Nonetheless, I, I want to share with you all something that has been troubling me, which is this: over the weekend here in New York, where I am, there was another shooting. Uh, on a subway, and one man was shot dead um forty eight years old, uh, doing nothing other than sitting and minding his own business, headed into you know, do whatever people do on the weekend, relax, hang out, connect with family and he was shot dead. and what I noticed is that we as a culture, no longer are outraged by gun violence unless the body count is five or above. Now, the definition of a mass shooting is four people killed at one time, but because we have become so desensitized to shootings, it's just now a part of our everyday existence here in America— We no longer have the same level of outrage that I believe that we should. I think to myself, you know, the subway in New York, much like public transportation everywhere across this country in, um, in urban areas and cities is essential. Public transportation is essential. It is essential for you to get from one place to the other, because guess what? Ubers and Lyfts and cabs are really expensive, And so the ability to spend $2 and 75 cents, get on a bus, get on a subway and get to where you're going, um, is a necessity. And what has happened here over, you know, the last couple of years, because of COVID we, the numbers on the subways, depending on what line, right. Because New York, much like everywhere else in the country is incredibly segregated, And you can tell the segregation based on the subway lines and what are the good trains that roll through areas that are always on time, that are cleaner, that are newer. Um, And then the subways, the cars that run through um, low income and densely populated immigrant uh, and people of color populations. And, you know, what I have noticed, obviously, is that time on the trains... Not the time, but the capacity has been down since COVID because one of the first things that people stopped doing, right, um, was being in close quarters. There is no other close quarters that I can think of than a subway, uh, in New York, particularly at rush hour, um, where there are just more people than there are space. And I think about these acts of terrorism because this is what they all are. Mass shootings are acts of terrorism. And then they become hate crimes when they are directed at one community or another, or one religious group or another. And this is all attached to our love affair in this country with guns. And right now there is a Supreme Court case that we've talked about with our friend, Dr. Jonathan Nutzel, that is going to be decided in June. That is about, um, essentially, states can have states' rights when it, it pertains to controlling Uh, a person's uterus. When it is about a state trying to keep its citizens safe with regard to gun control, oh, 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 that's hindering on a constitutional right. And so again, the right to own a gun is more important than the right for the rest of us to pursue our freedom of happiness, the ability to be safe in public spaces. And every time that there is a shooting, I continue to think about where we are going as a society and as a culture. When you no longer feel safe anywhere. And what the residual effects of that emotional trauma that is being rained down on us on a weekly basis. I don't think that there is a weekend that we go through where there aren't multiple shootings in multiple places across this country, right? Whether it is suicide, whether it is, um, a, a single gun, uh, a, a single victim, whether it is multiple victims, there is not a time when we go through a week's of no gun violence. The only time that that was, was during quarantine when people were forced to be inside. What does that say about a society that is supposed to be, quote unquote, un- industrialized, quote unquote, modern, and yet you can't go to a grocery store, a, uh, a a church, a synagogue, a mosque, a movie theater, walk around on the street, play on a playground, any of these places without the fear of gun violence erupting. And it isn't just, you know, uh, placed in these in quote unquote urban centers, which is code for black and Brown. No, it isn't just there. It's actually everywhere. And the lie that was continued to be told, you know, throughout our lives has been like, oh, it's these dangerous urban centers. No, it is not. Gun violence is everywhere. There are guns. You know, there is no such thing as a good person with a gun, in my humble opinion, because even a good person with a gun can make a mistake, cannot have a safety on. A child can pick it up. They can accidentally shoot themselves or other people. How many times do we hear about accidental shootings? It's just these days. I, I, you know, over the weekend, I was also, you know, speaking and connecting with friends and. You know, talking about the fact we're talking about monkeypox, we're talking about COVID, the, the, the rise back up and the fact that the White House hadn't held a COVID briefing in six weeks and now we're back at it. Um, the fact that you have, you know, populations, um, a quarter of the population is still unvaccinated. Then we're talking about monkeypox. And the fact that those cases have been reported in the United States. And my friend says to me, dear God, can we just take one fucking thing at a time? Like, is it possible for us just to be able to focus on one crisis at a time? Like, why does everything feel like a tidal wave? And that's how it feels. And maybe, you know, to that point, when it comes to gun violence and reporting it in this country is the fact that. My God, there's just so much gun violence that is happening that to lift up every single story in every single place, what else would you talk about on the news? And I think to me that that would be an important exercise. What if the gun lobbies, not the, the, you know, the, the, the gun reform lobbies, what if they lobbied networks, CBS, MSNBC, NBC, ABC, all of these networks, for a couple of hours out of the day, the same couple of hours out of the day to just cover gun violence, just cover every single shooting that has taken place. See if you have room for anything else and let that be a campaign that is out for like a couple of days where you're just like, oh my God, this is how much gun violence is in this country. I think that if it were reported, not just these mass shootings, that catch the public's attention. And again, only for a little bit, only for a day or two before something else comes. Maybe people who are so pro-gun would think twice about it. I saw this weekend, let me see if I can find it. Because it was really absolutely insane there are several GOP candidates that are running for office. And, you know, what we know is that the GOP has just become an extremist cult. There's like no way around it. You know, I was watching uh, another show that is on CNN. It's a new like CNN series. I forget the guy's name, but they're going around you know, into different places and doing like investigative reporting. And one of the first places that he went to was Ghana to, um, to interview these kind of, you know, really incredible renegade journalists who cover their faces, um, change their voices because they're unearthing all of the corruption that is in the government and they want Ghana, their, their home country to be corruption free and some of the journalists that are part of this group have been assassinated and you know as he's talking um to them and he's you know illuminating like how the slave trade started in this in this particular country in Africa and you know the fact that there were you had slaves slave quarters You had atrocities that were happening in Ghana, and in this one particular area, these fundamentalist Christians built a church in the middle of this prison, slave quarter area where they would worship as people are walking around them covered in blood, bruises, in their own feces, and these right-wing fundamentalist Christian cult erected a church in the center of it. And what the show said was just like, there's nothing that you can say to this other than the fact that this is a cult because it's the, the Christian church has nothing to do with African culture. And the fact that it was erected in this place to condone acts of violence and torture and rape is disgusting. Like who does this is what the narrator was saying. And then I look over the weekend and I see little clips of, you know, these GOP extremist cult candidates. And there was this woman standing in front of a sign that said, guns, God, and babies. And one of the woke AF, Matthew, thank you so much for sending it to me on Instagram. I was dumbstruck. But I'm like, when you look at these signs, and this is what these people are standing by and touting, they are lunatics. And what is scary is that they're not fringe. Like guns, God, and babies You don't care about babies because 192 Republicans in the House of Representatives voted against the production of baby formula. And anybody who wants to come out and tell me like, oh, that's not what they voted against. Shut up. Shut up. They have voted against the child tax credit. They have voted against relief for families. So you want to put up a sign for your election rally? that is guns, babies, and God, and that is supposed to make you a patriot, you don't even understand God. That's what, I, that's what gets me about these people. They have no understanding of God whatsoever, right? They don't even understand the teachings of their own Bible that once again, like in nowhere did it say that God is anti-abortion. In nowhere did it say that slavery is condoned. In nowhere does, it, it's just like these white evangelical Christian people and their interpretation and their interpretation of religion, their, their interpretation of like how society should function is through violence, threat, persecution, misogyny, and patriarchy. So they may continue to make inroads, which they are doing, but I'm telling you, the only way that this ends is vi- is through violence and they have all the guns. So honestly, without, other countries intervening when America does erupt into a civil war. I don't know how this ends. But when you have these people who want to talk about the sanctity of life, you're putting up a sign that says guns, God, and babies. Are you dumb? This is 25% of the population. And I'm wondering when the other 75% are going to wake up and take action because something has to be done. Coming up next, my conversation with our friend Glenn Kirshner, breaking down the latest in all of the legalese, uh, where Trump is in terms of these investigations, what is happening with the one six house commission, as we get ready to prepare for the primetime hearings that is coming up next. Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ricci is one of the latest shows on the TYT network and also the fastest growing news show in America. On his show, Dr. Ricci plays no games regarding policy, delivering a heavy dose of fact-based truth and penetrating analysis on all the top news stories focusing on racism, criminal and social justice, politics, police brutality, Karens, and much more. Listeners can also expect interviews with fascinating guests, political leaders, commentators, and even fiery debates with conservatives on a wide range of policy topics in the bullpen. It is an indisputable fact that you will love this show. Listen to Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ricci on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. Folks, you know that whenever I have an opportunity to chat with our friend, MSNBC legal analyst and the host of Justice Matters, Glenn Kirshner, I am beyond myself because I'm hoping that this week, this week, Glenn, we may have some actual good news to share for once because the last time you were on, I think we both left and wanted to jump off of a cliff. Um, So tell us where we are with the latest, with the 1-6 House Committee, because we are getting close to the June primetime reveal of their year plus of work. So where are we right now?
3: Yeah, you know, I don't know that we can balance out the bad news, um, but we're going to try. So I wish I had done a better job kind of communicating this in recent months, because, you know, we are forever, you and I and others, Danielle, we are forever frustrated
1: Mm
0: -hmm. because
3: it feels like the Department of Justice isn't doing enough, Mm -hmm. isn't moving quickly enough, isn't going after the people who who need to be indicted, if only for public safety reasons. So Trump and company cannot continue their crime spree. But here is the thing that um, I think has come into full focus for me. So I'm going to start to beat this drum. We know that the Department of Justice has just requested a thousand transcripts from the J six committee. Mm-hmm. That that leads us to say, why in the world is DOJ taking a back seat to the J six committee in these important investigative interviews? And that feels wrong. And it mm-hmm. feels like DOJ is negligent, right? But here is what I think we need to, to remember. The J6 Committee staff, the investigative staff, is made up almost exclusively uh, by a former federal prosecutors. It is headed the chief investigative counsel, a guy named Tim Hefey, former colleague and, and friend of mine from the DC US Attorney's Office, mm-hmm. is really one of the most adept RICO prosecutors I know. So what what I'm confident of, Danielle, is these thousand interviews were put together by a team of dedicated, determined, former federal prosecutors. So it's almost like these thousand interviews could have been run as grand jury interviews by the Department of Justice, and they're going to end up being just as valuable to the ultimate criminal prosecution of Trump and company. That should give us some comfort. The other reason that I think this was, I'm going to say, a smart tactical move if, in fact, Mm -hmm. what we're discussing is a product of tactics and not happenstance. Mm -hmm. I think there's Mm -hmm. probably Mm -hmm. both things at play in the way this investigation has progressed. If the Department of Justice had taken the lead and grand juried these thousand witnesses, you know what that would mean? None of us would ever know anything that was said in the grand jury by these thousand witnesses. We wouldn't know on June 9th or June 10th or in 2023 or in 2024. The only way we would know what any of those thousand witnesses said was if a criminal prosecution was brought and one or more of those witnesses was called to testify in a public trial. Then we would get some little sliver of what they said about the insurrection and Trump's culpability for the insurrection. How frustrating would that be, right? What we're gonna now get to see courtesy of this, I think really uh, important investigation that's been conducted by J6 is the full show through the eyes of the thousand witnesses who were in the room or otherwise privy to Donald Trump and company's crimes and we're getting the White House photographer to boot, right? And that's going to, I'm telling you a picture painting a thousand words when Stephanie Grisham said, during the insurrection, Donald Trump was gleefully celebrating it. I saw it. We're going to now see also photographs and perhaps video of Donald Trump gleefully celebrating the insurrection, according to Grisham, hitting rewind with the good parts when they were really beating people up when they, according to Stephanie Grisham, when Trump said, look, they're fighting for me. For three hours, Donald Trump waged war against the democratic process and the United States of America, and he refused to call it off. Danielle, we're going to see that movie through the testimony of the the people who were in the room beginning uh, June 9th. And after we see it, and we know there's enough evidence to prove beyond a reasonable doubt Donald Trump's crimes, DOJ will have to indict. They will have to indict, or they're giving our republic away, and the legitimacy of the Department of Justice will be gone. So the way this has played out is not as bad as it, it, it's been feeling to us.
0: I guess my concern here, Glenn, now I, I, first, I want to say, I, this is, this is good news. Um, this is some movement we've been looking to see if the lights have been on inside of the department of justice, or if they've just been in a deep slumber, this shows to me, okay, somebody flipped the switch, right? Because they're asking for these thousand, uh, documents, these thousand transcripts of the interviews that were done. However, I am really cautious in getting myself excited because I have PTSD from the Mueller investigation. So can you give us some insight into how this reveal come June may be different and or the same from what we saw with the Mueller report? Now, I pray to God that there is nothing other than it being in the same room, that it's the same from the Mueller report. But what 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 are we going to be looking for? What are you going to be looking for as we gear up for this next month?
3: Uh, you know, I'm with you, Danielle. This is the curse of being the eternal optimist because our heads hurt from having the rug pulled out from under Mm-mm. us while we're standing on it so many times and having our heads, you know, crack on on mm-hmm. the pavement, and we're tired of it. So I'm with you that we shouldn't get our hopes up. We should manage our own expectations. But, you know, the, the Mueller report fell flat because Bill Barr lied about it and did not let the mechanisms of government do what should have been done once Bob Mueller documented 10 obstruction of justice crimes by Donald Trump. Right. And we had Judge Reggie Walton, a personal favorite of mine, who said Bill Barr spun the Mueller report and deceived the American people and Bill Barr lacks candor. Those are Judge Walton's words, not mine. And that's why I'm not all that excited about Bill Barr's supposed appearance before J6. Um, I I do think this is going to be different because there is no Bill Barr in a position of Mm -hmm. power to tank the J6 committee hearings or findings, or report that will be issued. That has me optimistic. I'm also optimistic because we've all seen these congressional hearings that make us sick to our stomachs because you have the Democrats who are interested in getting reliable information out, and then you've got the yammering idiots like Jim Jordan and Gohmert and the rest of them just spouting their garbage and their propaganda and their disinformation, right? That is not, What this hearing will be. This hearing will be everyone in the room who has a microphone, even if they're Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, on the same patriotic page. And that is what's going to make it so compelling. I really do believe it's going to be compelling. Now, the fact that we may see a compelling movie over the course of some eight hearings or however many are scheduled doesn't translate into accountability necessarily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I also you know, think once we see with our own eyes the damaging evidence that shows we can prove Trump's crimes beyond a reasonable doubt, as I say, if the Department of Justice cares at all about the viability of our democracy, they must indict after that. And let's face it, what they announced, we need these transcripts because we have a criminal investigation into all things insurrection. I'm taking liberties with the precise language. And that's why we want them. And you know what? Benny Thompson, God bless him, said, you know what? I'm not crazy about giving you our work product. If I were him and I, I, you know, I'm a gutter kid from Jersey, I, I probably would have stooped a little bit. I would have said, yes. And we referred to you crimes against Congress months ago. You know what we would like? We would like you to prosecute the contempt of Congress that we are victims of, we in Congress, and that we would really need to progress in our investigation. How about you give us a little something? He didn't say that, but he did flex his co-equal branch of government muscle and said, thank you. This is our work product. We have hearings coming up. We'll get back to you on that. And ultimately, these transcripts are going to go over. If I were Representative Thompson, I might say, you know, I I expect there will be subpoenas forthcoming for these transcripts. That will give them some cover because I don't think I want Congress ever kowtowing to the Department of Justice, a co equal branch of government, the executive, and just say, oh, oh, you're asking for stuff? Here you go, here you go. Because then you get a corrupt Republican administration. They're going to say, oh, well, you gave everything over when they asked. Previously, so this is Representative Thompson being smart and circumspect and doing the right thing, but ultimately it's all gonna go over and ultimately indictments are gonna drop.
0: I mean, I hope that you're right, Glenn. We we already know that Eastman has been indicted, right? We 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 have that indictment down. We know that Eastman more, hasn't been indicted. Eastman hasn't been indicted, he's only been no. investigated. He,
3: He's been investigated, and that California judge said
0: that there he was and Donald criminal Trump committed
3: right. crimes by a preponderance of the evidence, but we're still awaiting an Eastman indictment.
0: I mean, do you think God, at the pace that this is going, that the yes. Department of Justice's plan is to drop just a series of indictments all at the same time? Because I, ju- I mean, for the love of God, Glenn. We we knew that Eastman literally was the architect with the PowerPoint presentation several months ago, right? Enough for it to go before a California judge. So tell me what you think, if we believe that the Department of Justice is actually lights on and working, what does it look like in terms of we go through these hearings, these public hearings, the world watches, and then what? the Department of Justice waits for the cameras to cut and then goes ahead and begins the parade of indictments?
3: That it depends on what DOJ has been doing behind the scenes that we don't know about. And the one thing I can guarantee you is there's been a lot going on behind the scenes that we don't know about. And that's ordinarily how grand jury investigations are run. Um, And we don't know about them until indictments are unsealed and made public. What, I, what we ordinarily try to do, Danielle, in large conspiracy cases, mm-hmm. and I may have handled part of the largest RICO conspiracy case ever brought in the courts of Washington, D.C., as did Tim Geefe He was on the same RICO case, the chief investigative counsel of J6. But it was like a drop in the ocean as compared to what DOJ is contending with on the insurrection front. But what we ordinarily try to do is we try to do a coordinated takedown. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. It means we will put as many people into a joint indictment and indict them all at the same time and coordinate um, simultaneous search warrants on all of their homes and businesses and any other place over which they have exclusive control at the same time, because what we don't want to do is piecemeal lock people up because once you lock one person up there, that has a ripple effect. And lots of other people who are complicit in the crimes will start to try to destroy evidence, will start to try to tamper with witnesses. That's why we do an all at once coordinated takedown by indicting them all together in the same indictment, coordinating simultaneous search warrants, literally dozens, if not hundreds of them. And that's when the criminal cases get rolling. The only reason we would leave people out of that kind of an an indictment who have criminal culpability for the conspiracy Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. commit offenses against the United States is if they were either cooperating or if we thought we could get more out of them by leaving them out and threatening appropriately a future indictment against them. So these are massive tactical decisions and we have operational meetings, Danielle. Over and over and over again as the evidentiary landscape develops and changes. And then we make the decision, okay, it's takedown time. Let's go. And, and that's go when and- we will take them all down at one time, or as many as it makes tactical sense to take down at one time.
0: How difficult, Glenn, do you think that I mean, again, let me let me just, you know, play with a little mustard seed of hope for a moment. What do you think it would look like? the day that an indictment comes down for Donald Trump? Like what, what, I mean, look at Look at both of our faces are like, <laughs> like large smiles and gleeful. Yeah. Don't but get me all I know, excited. I know. Come on. But I'm just curious as, because we've never seen this. We've never seen something like this happen. Right. So what, like, just if, if you can, and I, and I know you don't know for sure either, but what would it look like?
3: you know, all hell would break loose. Um, What I'm confident of is the Department of Justice and the primary law enforcement component responsible for executing search warrants, the U.S. Marshals Service, would manage a massive takedown pretty darn well. Not perfectly, because there there is nothing but uncertainty um, in, in these kind of takedowns. But, you know, it, it, it would be a, a massive media explosion around the world. And then we would probably spend literally the next year to two years tracking all of the court cases and the developments, who's pleading guilty, who's agreeing to cooperate against whom. And it would I'm telling you, once somebody shows up at your door at 6 a.m., yeah. which is the ordinary, you know, uh, time for search warrants to be executed, we like to catch them sleepy, catch them napping before they, you know, it's a little and we, tougher I for mean, them. we to know reach Donald for their Trump weapons. doesn't
0: wake up early, so <laughs> yeah, we know right. that.
3: Um, once those cuffs go on, the landscape changes. It tends to focus the mind of particularly these weak men and women who are trying to undermine our democracy, and you're going to see them dropping like flies running to the courthouse steps, running to the prosecutor's office to try to cooperate to minimize their exposure to prison. So all all hell will break loose. And I can't wait for that day to come because as I sit here, I can't envision that day not coming because then we're done, Danielle. We're just done. I mean,
0: you said that. I believe it. I have said the same thing. Last question for you, and this is to transition off of the insurrection. I just want to, um, get your thoughts on the Buffalo, uh, massacre and, you know, you and I, uh, post the uprising in Wisconsin where Kyle Rittenhouse drove across two states with an AR 15 shot and killed two protesters, wounding a third in Kenosha. He later was acquitted, right? He was, he, he was let off by a federal judge who basically pat him on the head and said, you know, all sun was just out there protecting property and doing the right thing. I've been thinking, Glenn, and I you I'm not a lawyer, so the, I ask you. Tell me what is the difference, right, between a Buffalo White Supremacist terrorist driving 200 miles to shoot and kill 10 black people? ranging in age from 30 all the way to 86 years old to kill them in cold blood. The only difference I can see is that Kyle Rittenhouse didn't write a manifesto. So were we just like needing in the rule of law for these people, the people that commit heinous crimes to then confess them in a manifesto for them to be convicted.
3: So, you know, Kyle Rittenhouse, these are actually, I think, significantly different cases, given the way the facts as we know them played out. I do think they were both hate and racist inspired acts of violence. But, you know, what we saw on the, during the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, we saw videotape and there was testimony, which is, you know, admissible and can be accepted by the jury of, of people trying to, I hate to use the word attack Kyle Rittenhouse because there are attacks that are offensive and there are attacks that are defensive, Mm -hmm. trying to protect oneself. But it was up to the jury to decide whether these people who were attacking, who were using physical force against Kyle Rittenhouse, were doing that to try to protect others from Kyle Rittenhouse's violence. Right. Right. or mm-hmm. were just you know nasty people trying to attack Kyle Rittenhouse because they didn't like him or whatever, and that that decision was handed to the jury, and what I think the jury concluded was, I can't rule out self-defense beyond a reasonable doubt. I may have some I may hate who Kyle Rittenhouse is, what he stands for, what he did, but I can't rule out to nearly a hundred percent certainty beyond a reasonable doubt. That maybe there is some lingering self-defense angle here, so you know the not guilty verdict was not an embrace of what he did. I think it was an application of the rule of law and the evidentiary standard to what the prosecutor and the defense attorneys presented to the jury. I see that as different than what happened in Buffalo. So, but but these both of these because what happened in Buffalo, you know, this guy calls himself I'm an eco uh eco um uh i'm i'm not an eco uh, not an eco terrorist i'm an eco fascist i'm an eco fascist or i'm an ethno nationalist or i don't care what fancy terms you put in front of your name you're a racist murderer yeah. period mm-hmm. and that's what you will be shown to be in a court of law because this he has no defense i think he was proud of his intent his attempt to kill as many black folks as it. he could. He streamed it. He was proud of it. But here is what this is a product of, Daniel. Mm-hmm. And this is what's got me so flipping frustrated. We need a whole of government approach to two things. America sits right now stubbornly at the intersection of uncontrolled, unrestricted access to assault rifles and weapons of war yep. and uncontrolled, unrestricted hate speech on our public airwaves and our social media platforms. Hate speech, if not designed to incite imminent violence, certainly likely to incite imminent violence. We sit at that crossroads. And Danielle, our government seems to do nothing about it, which is a prescription for another buffalo and another buffalo and another buffalo if we don't do something about it why cannot we take a whole, of go- a whole of government approach where we do three things? Mm-hmm. And I want to focus on just one of the three. We regulate, we legislate. And then when our regulations and our legislation is attacked, we litigate, we go into court and we defend it. If I was the president, which I will never be, because I'll never run for public office. And if I did, I wouldn't get elected. Um, I would never stop signing executive orders a hundred executive orders in a hundred days designed to get at that dual evil of unrestricted gun access and unrestricted hate speech likely to incite violence and i would get my smart much smarter than me constitutional people around me saying how can i craft an executive order that gets at these two things that will pass constitutional muster so I can go into court and defend it. And I would do 100 executive orders in 100 days. I would go on the offense, I would go scorched earth. Let the Republicans, I would flood the zone with good. Let the Republicans come into court and try to challenge the good I'm trying to do. Not only 100 executive orders in 100 days, Danielle, I would task every single government agency in the executive branch that has any little bit of a dog in the public safety fight. And you know there are more executive branch agencies than you can shake a stick at, right? I mean, if if you went to the Department of Justice, the Department of Defense, Commerce, Labor, Energy, Education, FCC, scc the the the, the Consumer Protection Board, and and there, there are another dozen. And I and I task each agency with give me one maybe two regulations that are designed to get it unrestricted access to weapons of war. And unrestricted hate speech in, uh, likely to incite imminent violence. Give me those regulations and we're gonna regulate the crap.
0: I mean, this out of is just not that problems. hard.
3: And then we're gonna go into court when the Republicans come in because we flooded the zone with good and they challenge our regulations, just like they're gonna challenge our executive orders, and we're gonna defend them. And you know what? We're gonna win so many of those court cases and we will have done good for the American people. And you know what, the cases that we lose, the judiciary is going to say, "Look, executive branch, I appreciate what you were trying to do. But here's where you stepped your toe over the constitutional line. Then we go back, we retool, we take that information and that ruling from the court about how we got it a little wrong, and we do it right and we repromulgate, and we let the Republicans bring us into court again, and we defend it. We say, "We heard you, judge. We got it right this time. Let's go." Why can't we regulate, legislate, and litigate, and go scorched earth, flooding the zone with good, instead of just letting the Republicans flood the with zone bad. with bad I and, don't hate know. and evil? I, I, Why? Why? I just, I, I just wish we could get an answer to the question because all of that can be done. All of that can be. Glenn, done. that
0: has to be your next viral video. It has to be because it's like at this point, I cannot listen. In all honesty to another speech of Joe Biden, shaking his finger and telling me white supremacy is poison, and then getting on air force one and saying, you all hold each other in in prayer and doing not a goddamn thing. Like I literally cannot watch him or Nancy Pelosi or Chuck Schumer one more time, admonish people and try and shame people that are shameless. So I hope that that is your next video. Glenn, as always, thank you so much for walking us through all of this legalese. And I hope I hope that when we talk next week, we have more good ish news to offer the people with regard to where the one six commission as we make the march to June goes.
3: Yeah, June nine is coming. There will be more light than darkness once June nine hits. And then we just have to
0: stay after it. Yeah, appreciate you. Thanks,
3: Danielle. Hey, I'm David Plotz of Slate's Political Gabfest. As another election season accelerates, it can be tricky to sort through all the noise and the news. Each week on the Gabfest, John Dickerson, Emily Bazelon, and I decipher the headlines, break down the races, and tell you what issues really matter. We do not always agree. We definitely do not always agree, but we always deliver thoughtful debate, and we always have a good time. So subscribe to Slate's Political Gabfest. New episodes every Thursday.
0: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop.
1: I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and I'm a journalist. Join me on my new podcast, but We Loved, where queer elders recount the amazing history they've lived through.
0: In the middle of Wall Street, they stopped traffic. They were doing a dying. Right!
1: Right! And in the process, share little gems of wisdom for the next generation. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. You can listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.